castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome to late 1987, early 1988 in the Legacy series. What if I told you right now, potentially, you could have everything that you've ever wanted and quite possibly the things you never even dared to dream that you might want. All you have to do is choose one identity marker, one claim to fame, and you got to drill down on it. You've got to develop it. You've got to guard it and protect it and enlarge it. But the greatest in the world are also doing the same thing. And the moment you declare yourself, they are coming for you. Would you make that marker something out of who you are or who you dream of being? And the fact that you're still sitting here listening to me tells me you've already lost because all of these other ones, they're already on the move. They're already conquering. They're already drilling down. In late 1987, early 1988, the very best in the WWF are on the move and they are not just playing five steps away from their identity marker their power their 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 claim to fame they are cashing in everything that they have at the very same time this can't end well if you are Bobby the brain Heenan the brain your one claim to fame some people call you brain some people call your call you weasel but you figure out how to get it done so how is it at the end of 1987 the year that you stood on the wrestlemania 3 stage the biggest stage in sports entertainment in professional wrestling with andre the giant you would end the year saying this has not been a good year what in the world is going on? But you know you stood on that stage. Your greatest opportunity to topple Hulk Hogan, and you can claim a three count, but you did not get the championship. At times, Jimmy Hart has been able to brag about his stable in ways you can't do with the family. You are playing your card, but you need to do something else. You need to do something bigger because now there's a man called Ted DiBiase and he wants to occupy some of that space. And his claim is not brain. His claim is capital. It's money. It's everybody's got a price. And he's gone from arena to arena proving it. But that's a fan in the front row. That's a fan in the audience. But this guy, Ted DiBiase, has now issued that he wants to purchase the WWF title so he is putting everything that he claims on the line and if Hulk Hogan is willing to relinquish that belt everything in wrestling changes forever Hulkamaniacs go home Ted DiBiase has won the game you don't even have to compete anymore but Ted DiBiase you better have a second game changing plan because if Hulk Hogan turns that down then does everyone actually have a price or have you played your biggest card 
So does all of that mean that 87 was Hulk Hogan's year? Hulk Hogan is the line drawer. He's the boundary setter. His thing is the power, the power of Hulkamania. And he draws the line who's inside, who's outside, and he is inside. The world title is inside. But guess what? Every time he draws a line, that line gets smudged away. Because there are giants taking steps over the line. King Kong Bundy, we thought we eliminated him at WrestleMania 2. He's come back. Andre the Giant, he has come back. Bundy beat Hulk Hogan by countout. Andre claims he beat Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3. The line is being smudged, Hulk Hogan. Bundamania, that is a slap in the face of everything you claim, and you still have not dealt with Andre the Giant, my friend. At the end of 1987, early 1988, everybody is on the move. In the Chronicles of Narnia, where the White Witch makes it always winter but never Christmas, the minute they hear that the great protagonist, Aslan, is on the move, they know the great battle is about to begin. In the Harry Potter movies, it is said, Voldemort is on the move, and that great battle is about to begin. When your great protagonist and antagonist, and that when they are on the move, it is time to find out what is what. And we are inches away from a confrontation that will not only change the wrestling world forever, it will open up space at the top of the card in a way that is rarely done. We are in game-changing months Everybody is on the move, and we are covering it, ladies and gentlemen. The hype is back. Grab your shovels, because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Lord Mystic PhD. We are indeed back with another episode of the Legacy Series, dipping one last toe in that year of 1987 before jumping into the year I was born, 1988, to talk about some great Wonderful wrestling history. We're going to talk about matches so hot. The camera is shaking on its stand. We're going to talk about the hottest babyface, the most fired up babyface that you have ever seen. We're going to talk about Atlantic City. We're going to talk about Christmas presents with explosives in them. We're going to talk about money versus morals. We're going to talk about a giant case of mustard. We're going to talk about... Andre in another giant suit jacket. We're going to talk about two of my favorite guys of this era going one-on-one, two guys that don't get the appreciation they deserve. We're going to talk about so much stuff. We're going to go as high as we can go, and we're going to go down into the depths of everything that we can unearth. It's going to be a great episode. It's going to be a happening. I'm excited. It's going to be a happening. I like that. I like the fact that Ms. Fan has told us twice, 1988 is the year that he was born in. And we're doing the space element, and I do believe that there will be consequences on this show, in this show, 
on the fact that Miz Fan was born in 88 and we are covering 88, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to mean. But we are leaning on Miz Fan to find us this connection. What is it about 1988? What will emerge? When were you born, Ms. Fan, if you don't mind saying? Oh, I was born on uh, February 3rd, 1988, which is almost but not quite the day of uh, the Hogan-Andre event that we're going to have very soon. So I'm not going to say that event caused me to be born at that particular time, that the shockwaves radiated out, but I'm not going to say that's not true either. Hulk Hogan would say it for you, so you don't don't have to worry about that. (laughs) He would. He absolutely would. But that's an amazing thing because, you know, you get all these random like kind of things on the Internet. Oh, what song was number one in the year that you were born? But, you know, we are people who have dedicated parts of our lives, part of our fandom, part of our identities to this thing called professional wrestling. And here we are in the year that you were born in one of the greatest eras in the history of professional wrestling. And I do think there's something very interesting about that. I think there is. It's always interesting for me to look back at these periods of wrestling, which, you know, there's some wrestling like if I had known about it, if I'd been interested at the time, I probably would have watched it and I just did it. But then there's stuff that I didn't even exist when it was happening. Mm. And it's sort of mentally weird to go back and watch that stuff when you think about that. But I am constantly like time is always um baffling to me when i think about it so it's just an extension of that i guess but i love doing it it's sort of weird but sort of awesome too i encourage everyone to go watch stuff from before you were born uh just to try to see what the heck was happening when you weren't around yeah that's that's an amazing point and it's something i have not done so you know maybe i'll do it one day but I feel like 88 too is such a nice round number and it's a special year in the WWF. Oh yeah. You know, I just gave that, uh, kind of all the Aslans and all the Voldemorts who are on the move. And weirdly enough, uh, the name not mentioned in that and also not on the show today is Macho Man Randy Savage, but he's also going to be on the move. Yeah. Maybe the first episode we've done without him since he came around. So. And show you, yeah, these Saturday Night Main Events we, we've talked about, they're nice because they're uh, kind of quick hits. You don't have to spend ages on them. Um, and just like some of the best uh, one-hour wrestling shows in the modern day, Lucha Underground, the original NXT, all this stuff, that means you can't put every single person on every show. And guess what? That's actually, I think, to the benefit of the show. you got to pick and choose. you got to showcase different people. Uh, I like it. I'm a fan of it. And Miz Fan has done us a huge favor, all of us, by giving us bonus footage from uh, December 21st, 1987, Primetime Wrestling. Uh, For me, I'll I'll say this, and then I will let him uh, just jump in and take us wherever he wants to go. But I am a big, big, big fan of Christmas, of the holidays, of December. I was born in December. Uh, My girlfriend was born in December. Um, It's just one thing after another. I like the weather. I like the feeling. I like... I, the hype of being able to create a month that's not like other months and just enjoy it. As a child, I loved it. Then I went through a long period where I just kind of didn't. And now I'm trying to create Decembers that matter again. So I will just shout out to our LOPforums.com. We have a lot of commentary going on there. If you're not there, you can sign up and you can join the conversation about this show. But if you are a fan of the holidays and you're an adult, what do you do to make it special? 
because we are about to drop into an episode of primetime that is at the holidays. And there's going to be some funny stuff going on with Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. But it's May as we record this. But I have learned that if you want to make December special as an adult, you better start thinking about it as and in May. So please shout out if there's something you do at home, if it's decorating, if it's something you watch, if there's something you do in the community. How do you make it matter? Just let me know because I want to actively build to that. If there's enough of this holiday stuff, maybe in December we could do a special episode where we cover some of the best kind of stuff like this. I don't know, but I really got uh, involved in that whole Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan uh, bit that goes on throughout primetime uh, on the 21st of December, 1987. Absolutely. So, you know, we talk about um, elements. Um, maybe we would talk about dimensions sometimes. If there's an extra element beyond what we've talked about, uh, maybe it is time. And uh, mm-hmm. I think time is an element that you can tap into. And that means sometimes you talk about Christmas in May. I mean, sometimes you travel back to before you were born. Time is an important element. i got to show some recognition for it right now. That's powerful. And I like the positive spin because I think time scares me more than the fire element. Mm-hmm. So, But the way that you're using it right there is the way to use it. Like the luxuries that we have that we take for granted – the access to all of this stuff, it does in some way allow us to move forward and backward in history in a strange way because we are tapping into this in a way that makes us feel involved in it. And that community, you know, commentating um, our prof, our friend of the show, created an an article on Hercules this week. If the show wasn't happening, the article doesn't happen. So conversation begets creation and we are actually creating a world in 2020 that is 1987-based. And that's what Miz fans talking about. Time It's just another thing. How are you going to play it? Or are you simply going to get played by it? So, yeah, time is very important. Uh, it's very scary, but it can be your friend as well. It's, uh, it's a very volatile, uh, necessary element. So... None of us can get away from time. Uh, all right, we've got primetime wrestling, and uh, there's a whole lot of primetime wrestling on the network, which in my opinion is one of the best things about the network. So uh, if you are interested, I hope you will check out this December 21st episode. Uh, you don't have to watch every match, but, man, these segments with Gorilla Monsoon, with Bobby Heenan, they're gold. They're so good. Uh, there's a match we're going to talk about. There's a promo we're going to talk about. So check it out if you feel the need. And uh, we're all a little cooped up right now. Uh, so if you're still stuck in the house, think about watching some more primetime because, man, it's just it's some of the best stuff that I have seen. I, I couldn't recommend it more highly. We will probably be picking out more uh, choice episodes in the future. This is the first one we're going to talk about, December 21st, 1987. It's one of the kind of shows that if you like this era, this is where you can start getting lost in it mm-hmm. and really being a part of it. It also reminded me, you want to know what WWF was in 1987 at the top. So world title to top somehow beyond world title, Hulk Hogan and Andre. Intercontinental to world title, Macho Man Randy Savage. Newcomer to intercontinental title, Ultimate Warrior. That is the stack in 1987 so it was my first time seeing the ultimate warrior running around which tells me of things to come and my god we are one year away from where we started wcw the legacy series and wwf is already doing all of this 
Absolutely. I do have our first glimpse of Ultimate Warrior on this episode. I probably will not have a lot of good things to say about Ultimate Warrior as this series goes on, but I will say that he is an important piece of this puzzle. And we are talking about the space element, and here's a man who I don't know if he has anything but space uh, in uh, more ways than one. So an important piece. And uh, and you're right. I often think that we started WCW, uh, the Legacy Series, later than we should have. I think if there was one thing I would change if I went back, I would start at the first Starcade instead and go from there. But uh, maybe someday... NWA, old school, the legacy series will become a thing. Yeah, I do think that. And in retrospect, you know, we still gave you over three years of our lives to it. So I'm not <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Much. How much more can you really ask of us? Um, yeah. And I also am not a fan. There's a lot of warrior things that neither of us are going to be a fan of. Uh, but you can't deny the, the consequential nature that is to come. And already you're making it interesting because. Maybe I'll feel different because there's so much narratively that I think that when I go back and watch this, it comes out differently. But it might be only being space element, and you could fill in any element. There is a reason that Hulk Hogan, like him or not, can be champion four years, and it can be damn interesting. And Ultimate Warrior, there is a feeling that the minute Hogan left him with that belt in the ring and it was just the Ultimate Warrior, there was nothing else to say or do. So I don't know. We'll see. Ultimate Warrior, not even fully Ultimate Warrior. I didn't really watch the match, but I think he walks to the ring a little bit. I think he uh, gets beat up a little bit. So eventually he'll be jobbing Andre in about you know a minute or two. Mm. Uh, but right now he is just a very, very early version of what is to come. Yeah, he's barely beyond uh, what Dingo Warrior, I think, mm. is what he was before. So not Ultimate really yet. More of a dingo. We'll go with that. Yeah, so where do you uh, want to go? Uh, well, we've already touched on it a little. So uh, one piece of this primetime puzzle we're going to talk about is definitely these Heenan monsoon segments. Uh, these two guys hosting primetime for many years and just really absolutely making it their own. You know, this is where I think the bond, most of all, between Heenan and Monsoon was forged. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, this is a special episode. It's Christmas. They're in uh, Atlantic City, which is going to be the site of WrestleMania 4. I don't know if they said that for sure or not, but uh, they're definitely putting some roots down in that area because it's going to be WrestleMania 5 as well in this same location. So back-to-back, WrestleMania is in Atlantic City. Um, you've got some great stuff here. Uh, Monsoon and Heenan, every year they have some uh, way of exchanging presents, and of course it never goes quite right. Heenan's got a present for Monsoon. Monsoon is very uh, distrustful of it, and uh, they do a whole bit where Monsoon sends it away so it can be checked for explosives, which is funny in and of itself. And Heenan is telling Monsoon, oh, well, just don't open it here. you got to open it when you get back home. Of course, Monsoon uh, will always do the opposite of what Bobby Heenan tells him. He ends up opening it up, and it's like matchbooks and sugar packets and, like, every piece of crap that Heenan could have stolen from this hotel. And yeah. it's just hilarious. I love these two together so much. <laughs> so good. It's so, so good. It's so authentic. Bobby Heenan, does he have a bow tie on on his neck brace? He absolutely does. Yes, he's at the neck brace again. 
He, he brought it back uh, for a brief period after Hogan choked him at the last show we covered. So the return of the neck brace, you got to love it. Yeah, and when we get into Saturday Night's main event today, it's an actionable neck brace that changes uh, the trajectory of things. So, man, uh, I think it was Grill Monsoon. So he opens up this box with nothing but freebies that they've stolen and taken. And he just says, I don't even use sugar. I use sweet and low. <laughs> and they, they're so good at what they do. Oh, they are. They're they're just wonderful. And that's that's perfect monsoon because it's not Heenan didn't only do it like in a dishonest way. He also got it wrong. Also, like you always have to pile on extra when it's yes. Heenan. I love it. And y'all. Maybe implicitly, you get the idea that it would have been an explosive that would have killed him, but Bobby Heenan is too cheap. <laughs> <laughs> like, it could have been, yeah. Oh, man. They play the, the best thing about this. I don't know if we'll fully get this experience. We don't have the time to watch every prime time, but the way they build on these jokes, like, week after week, nothing is forgotten. Everything stays around uh, and comes up over and over again, and they're just riffing and building, and it's an incredible journey to go with these guys together. If there's enough um, interesting, like, holiday Heenan Monsoon prime times, I think when we get to December, I'd like to do a week where we just cover those. I I would love nothing more. Uh, next time we go around, uh, remind me, and I will put that together. I can make that happen, sir. <laughs> because... Even though it's the explosives and the fake gifts and it's not exactly, you know, it's kind of like holidays a lot of times. You know, they don't always live up to what you imagine them to be, mm. but but it's still special. It's still, it's something that you cannot get with a team of writers for mm. better and worse. Like I was thinking, they end the show by saying, uh, it hasn't been much fun this week. And Bobby Heenan says, it hasn't been much fun this year. And <laughs> I love it because of, like, I care about the characters and I know what they're saying, but I can't imagine ending like a WWF show with it hasn't been much fun this year. Right. <laughs> you know, and you would never get that on carefully written uh, product probably, but you know, this is character driven. Uh, these guys, God, I feel like their characters are, have nothing but disdain for each other, but I can't help but see nothing. I can't help but see the love there. No matter yeah. what they, no matter what's coming out of their mouths. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's a lot of love there. I think not even, like behind the scenes love. I really think that even Gorilla Monsoon yeah. and Bobby Heenan in character, they have this weird uh, affection, even though they're uh, completely on opposite sides of everything that you could think of. I don't think I can argue with that because you got to look at the look on Gorilla's face sometimes. And if nothing else, I think like the way that he wants to act in the world, like it takes a Bobby Heenan to allow Gorilla Monsoon to act like that because he can't go around treating any supposedly decent person like that. It's like the arguments, the stepping on him. Like, what if it had been a decent gift in there? You know? <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just, you got to watch it. It might not be your thing, but if it is your thing, it's something, again, that you can get lost in. So I really appreciate uh, getting to drop in on Heenan uh, and Monsoon at the holidays. Man, it's great. They do a bit on here, and this was a huge, long-running bit. Years, they played around with this bit, where Keenan always wants to have a phone at prime time, and uh, he'll abuse his privilege with this phone recklessly. Like, he'll, he'll be on the phone during segments, 
and he'll make up calls that he's making and he'll say outlandish things and all this stuff. And he gets a phone in this episode too. And they mention it. And I think it was the year before this, when Monsoon gives Heenan a present, it's more tense than the other way around. Cause Heenan never knows like if it's a real president, he wants to accept it. Of course, cause he wants things. But he's also afraid it's going to make him look foolish, so he's always caught like in this quandary. And the year before, Monsoon got him something, and he refused it, and it turned out to be like this this shiny, beautiful telephone. And then Monsoon <laughs> took it back, and he couldn't get it again. So it's wonderful. You know, it's like playing with his head every year. Man, that's so good. And that, that is Bobby Heenan. You know, he's always trying to save face, but... Every time he loses face, it's probably going to be by his own actions. So he, I, there's a moment when we get into, um, I think. So the reason that we're doing this episode is Ms. Fan wanted us to see um, Strike Force take on the Islanders, mm. and Bobby Heenan is getting into his super kind of highly sensitive, like he's almost hit. He's looking at the ring, and he just casually bumps into the ring post. While he's standing outside by himself, and he jumps in reaction to the ring post, and it's it's, a, it's one of those Arn Anderson moments where he said about Steamboat, he's just a man. It's just it's that authentic, down to the tiniest detail. Whether anyone's watching or not, it is just solid through and through. Oh, it's spectacular! Yeah, Heenan, it's Heenan and Arn. That's interesting. We're gonna see him together, and I never articulated quite this way before. But one thing that they share beyond being just wonderful in every way uh, is that they are both so on all the time. Like it never stops with these two guys. I love that as much as as much as you can bring anything to the table for me as a wrestling fan. That is that that one's a big one. Absolutely. All right, we are going to talk about that match. Two quotes that I want to share that I thought were particularly funny. Uh, first quote, they're in uh, Atlantic City. They're talking about casinos. Grill Monsoon brings up Frank Sinatra. Bobby Heenan says, Frank Sinatra, never heard of him. Grill Monsoon says, you could end up in the river around here the way you talk. Bobby Heenan no. says, why? Is he a scuba diver? <laughs> oh, man. There's a lot of murder and a lot of threats uh, between the two of them, too. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Like, there, there's um, oh, there's there's one point where Bonsu is threatening Heenan with, like, a like a corrupt politician or something. He's going to, like, make him disappear or something. And it's like, yeah, they, they don't really pull any punches here with all this stuff, so. And you believe, like, I don't know who Gorilla Monsoon is tied into, and I don't know if I want to know, so. Like, oh, I, he, I, I take threats seriously in this era. He exudes this, like, aura that he knows everybody. Every time, like, there are more in-depth, like, on-location scenes than this primetime. We're probably going to watch some of them, but one of the biggest hallmarks is every person Monsoon meets, he already knows them, he's, like, their best friend, they'll do anything for him, and it's, like, you could believe this guy probably is connected with people who could do anything, like, just because he's Gorilla Monsoon. So, yeah, you don't take him lightly when he's making these uh, uh, hints and proclamations. Yeah, I am currently uh, binge-watching Frasier, uh, and I am in season three, and Niles, Niles wanted uh, his wife's uh, his wife's tickets forgiven, so they go to a guy that can make those tickets go away. <laughs> But one day he's going to want a favor. So uh, this old, uh, you know, if you can somehow make this is absurd versus I also kind of believe it and marry one another. You create a, a weird 
but authentic atmosphere that you really can't get anywhere else. And that's, again, one of the tickets that we keep punching in order to come back to this show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, one last quote, and then we'll get into the, the matches and the promo and more into the meets. Um, Gorilla Matsuda. Okay, Brain, time to unlock some of the knowledge you've got stored in that head of yours. What can you tell us about this new tag team, the Conquistadors? Bobby Heenan. They're masked men. Gorilla Matsuda. How about something besides the obvious? Bobby Heenan. They're from parts unknown. Gorilla Matsuda. No, they're not. Bobby Heenan. Well, parts of them are. <laughs> I love that. And you know, you know that that's not written down on a script anywhere. Like, they're just riffing. You know, it's great. I love it. Yeah, it's just riffing. And at the same time, it's so Grill Monsoon and it's so Bobby Heenan. Yeah. (laughs) You know, even like the the phrases, the questioning, the back and forth. Oh, man. I, I hope, folks, whether this is already your thing or you've never given it a chance, I hope you will give this a chance because it's not something that you're going to get in other eras. I don't even know that it would fit in some of the other eras that we'll be doing in this very legacy series. Mm. But right here and right now, there's nothing else that could stand in its place. Absolutely. It's uh, one of my favorite things about the WWE Network, about anything from this era. So, yes, strongly co-sign any recommendation for this show. Yes. All right, yeah, let's talk about uh, the match that I am excited to talk about. And this this is what I'm talking about when we're talking about Heart Foundation, British Bulldogs, people are like, these teams are the best. And I'm like, but wait, Strike Force and the Islanders exist? This this is like my peak of this era, at least until the Brain Busters get here. I don't know if it gets better than this for me in the tag team division. Strike Force and the Islanders, man, these are top top-tier teams that I get genuinely excited about in a way that I do not feel about the Hart Foundation or the British Bulldogs. Yeah, I, I do think, again, if the Hart Foundation is your taste and you're a Bret Hart guy and that Bret Hart goes all the way back to the beginning, you have your own opinion. Your opinion is valid. Nobody's saying your opinion is not valid. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the Hart Foundation, if you take the NWA to WWF, I don't think they're worth a mention in the bigger conversations in the era they existed much less, you know, because you think the Rockers were, you know, they they almost want to make you, oh, the Rockers were the first tag team to, you know, that, the Strike Force is already doing what the Rockers will do. Mm. The Island, uh, the Islanders are quick-footed, you know. The Heart Foundation, I think the only thing they have going for them is that they don't look alike. <laughs> yeah. Because so many of these teams are forced to kind of dress alike and almost look alike, and I think Sometimes that can be a detriment. So I was trying to think, like, honestly, what does the Hart Foundation have that other teams don't? And now it's like, they don't look alike. Yep. They, they have a, a nice aesthetic. I'll give them that. And uh, the other benefit is one guy is Bret Hart. So I don't know if it goes beyond that for me. But like you say, other people like them. Uh, I'm not out to invalidate that. I'm just saying, personally, I'm offering a uh, alternative narrative that you can consider out there. For me, it's Strike Force and it's the Islanders. If you want the peak tag team of this era, it's not Brett and um, Nightheart versus the British Bulldogs. <laughs> I came to this fresh because you kind of brought up this conversation and I had not thought about it. So my first thought was honestly, like, where do they rank in the greatest teams of all time? Because that's how it was presented to me. <laughs> But, like, you really didn't, like, I didn't know how many, like, really good groundbreaking teams go back so far. And then I already didn't think the Hart Foundation was that good in an era where 
if none of the tag teams were that good. The Hart Foundation is just another tag team that wasn't that good, in my opinion. But now that you got all these other great teams to me that actually pop and I actually want to watch, like again, I think what we're going to find with Bret Hart, and I may be wrong, I may be wrong because, like I said, almost every narrative that I believe gets challenged on this show, but Bret Hart is singularly potentially better than anyone at something. Yeah. And it's that mechanical, technical, figure out a match and take it to a unique place it's never been before, excellence of execution. And whether he deserves to be world champion about half the times he's champion, that's something I will have to debate and figure out in time. But at times in the mid-90s, he will have matches that nobody else in the world has like him. Sometimes he'll be the world champion. Sometimes he'll be in the mid-card, but still in every show is kind of the narrative. And it, if you put everybody in that lane, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But he might be the excellence of execution. And if he is, hell, that's also his gimmick. So cool. But when you start getting outside of a single uh, uh, way of execution, there's a lot of places where he also does not stand up to a lot of other people. And I think that's exposed with the Hart Foundation. Like They do a lot of tag moves together, but they're not the only ones that do it. Uh, and they don't stand out. And there's teams that do a lot of other things they don't. Yeah. And I think um, <clears throat> I think it was our prof who said it first, and apologies if it was somebody else, but uh, the truest thing about Bret Hart that I have already discovered in this series to be true is that this is a guy who – um, got better year over year. Like he clearly built himself up into something, which I think genuinely was exceptional, but it didn't happen overnight. And it's interesting because somebody was just writing about Owen Hart in the columns forum. Um, and I was struck by the comparison of where Bret Hart had to do so much work to get up to the level where he was, in my opinion, one of the best in the world. It seemed to come so naturally to Owen Hart, like Owen Hart and, Ni and Jim Neidhart team up briefly, and I almost like that team more than the Hart Foundation, just because A, it's Owen, and B, like just from day one, it just seems like he's so natural and so good, um, so I'm excited, of course, to talk about Owen, to compare them, and I think uh, it's an interesting um, juxtaposition when you look at Brett working his way up and uh, where he will be versus where he is. And then you look at where Owen came in when he started. Yeah, I do think that if, if memory serves, we're going to get into a, a moment in time where there's going to be nothing in the world like watching a Bret Hart match. Mm, yeah. But what what it, that's but everybody knows that. And I am all, I think I am the one who said it in our prof took it further because I said Bret Hart's best year was his final year. And he just worked his way uh, towards that. Yeah. Um, and what I see that nobody ever talks about is that very few people have just had the will of the world at their back. Like everything it's like from the moment Bret Hart came into the WWF, there was a project to get him to where he would ultimately go. Mm. Like they're going to break up the Hart foundation and neither man's really going to get over. So they're going to have to put them back together. Then they're going to put him in the intercontinental division and every friend of the family and every top star is going to put him over in the most convincing way that he could ever be put over. And he's eventually going to rise to the occasion. But you want to talk about Owen Hart is a guy who had the wind at his face for his entire career. Yeah. And he was always Brett's younger brother. And they, even on oh, that 
too hard to watch uh, Owen Hart show that just dropped. Oh, I uh, couldn't watch it. Did you watch it? <laughs> I finally watched it yesterday. How was it? It, it? it hurt just as bad to not watch it as to watch it because either way, like you can agree with the WWF, you can agree with the family. That's not really the point to me, but when you hear the family talk, mm. whether you like them or not, whether you like their stance or not, their conviction, like if you've ever been in a car wreck and that moment where you know you're about to hit and the whole world is outside of your control and you're just being thrust. The whole show felt like that for me. Like viscerally, I was, my body was shaking and my eyes were like watering and it's just, it was impossible to watch. Mm. But like from a wrestling perspective, uh, Owen Hart jumping off the backs of other people and flipping at the beginning of his career, like how good he was. Uh, Chris Jericho mentioning that if Owen Hart had been around when Christian and Edge and Jericho and Malenko and Benoit and uh, all of them came in, mm -hmm. that he would have a resurgence. And we'll get to this in the series. I am not Monday morning, Monday morning quarterbacking. As a child, I thought Owen Hart was better than Bret Hart. Mm. And there will never, to me, I am not to get in there and blame anybody. Like, I just don't want to occupy that space because God it, it to me at least an awful place but the one thing that's inexcusable to me is why the fuck was Owen Hart being booked like that right. at that time in his career because can you imagine if I told you there's going to be a Montreal screw job and it's going to change wrestling for decades Bret Hart will never recover as a human being from it and that Bret will leave the company and Owen will stay and that nothing of, of value will ever come from their careers out of that big event. It's almost impossible to believe that. And the enough is enough buzz cut Owen Hart left to deal with Shawn Michaels. There has never been a greater invitation to greatness, to world title, to top of the card. Mm. And how, like, I stopped watching wrestling. So how the fuck he ends up in the Blue Blazer gimmick and a joke out of that, to me, is it can never, ever, ever be explained. And I will never be able to take an explanation for why that's why that is valid. Mm. Oh, God. Yeah, so. Lots of stuff in the Legacy series to come, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll be a lot to deal with when we get there. Um, in the moment, though, we will refocus on Strike Force versus the Islanders. Um so, as I was talking about, this match is very much right on my alley. Uh, it's got interesting commentators. It is uh, Nick Bockwinkle, once again on commentary, yeah. which I'm very happy about. Also, a guy who's come up on this uh, podcast before, Bruce Pritchard, yeah. doing commentary. <laughs> so that, that might be a little surprising for you. I did not expect it. And it's a gimmicky Bruce Pritchard. I don't know who they're telling him to try to be like or what, but... He, he he is it's almost like a Vince McMahon in, in imitation in that he only kind of makes all statements and then Nick Bockwinkle <laughs> reasons. But maybe that's just what baby faces are at the time. I don't know, but it's very interesting. So I suggest checking out the match and the commentary. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yes, of course, of course. Um, this feud uh, this is a pretty hot feud that's been going on for quite a while, actually, uh, even though we haven't touched on it much. Um, the Islanders are feuding with the Can-Am Connection, if you want to think way back to that. 
that's when Tom Zank left and they, they buried him. Say, oh, he was just afraid of the Islanders. He couldn't hang, you know. Fuck Tom Zank, basically, was the message for a while. Tito had to get out and, uh, or uh, Rick Martell had to go out and get a new partner. You end up with Tito Santana and these guys have been going back and forth hot ever since. And I mean hot because uh, the crowd, the crowd, the crowd is so nuts yeah. for this match. And Rick Martel is so friggin' fired up. He's the best baby face I ever saw. And Tito's great. And the Islanders are great. There's a moment in this match where the fans are cheering so hard. I'm not kidding. I've rarely seen this. I love when it happens. They're cheering so hard that the hard cam is, like, shaking on its stand. And, man, I friggin' love that. Like, that energy. You can't beat that, man. Yeah. I think that's Martel in the ring by himself hyping the fans. Yep. And yep. I think oh, he's, he's top so three. In one <laughs> yeah, this is like Hogan Savage stuff as far as the ovations that, that he can elicit. And it's always everything I've seen so far. It's been Martel like doing whatever he does and the fans reacting like that to it. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating when I think Rick Martel is one of the best baby faces of all time. And it's super weird that, you know, in a while he's going to be the model and he's never really going to get away from that gimmick. And he does very well. But it's like you have a master craftsman in one field and you take him and you put him in another field where he's pretty good and you just say, this is your job forever now. And it's like, what? But he was so good at the other thing. He was like the best, you know, he, he was the best shoemaker. And now he's making like pretty good hats. Like it's not, <laughs> it's just, it shouldn't be that way, you know? Yeah, one one gimmick condenses him and one sets him free. And of course... This is when you're doing WWF, like what they, they what they set you up for will either launch you forever or will ensure that you never get launched. And it's just unfair and will always be unfair. He does a good job with both, but I don't know how you don't watch what he does as a baby face and say, like, at minimum, give him the Hacksaw Jim Duggan role of the like gigantic non-champion baby face that everybody loves. Mm. But instead, make him the model, give him perfume, and send him out. Oh, well, Vince McMahon. <laughs> For sure. What killed me the most, I think, is that being a babyface is not even part of his narrative. You know, you talk about Rick Martel, and he's just the model to everyone. Like, literally the best parts of his career are just lost to legacy, and it makes me sad. So we're going to bring it out a little bit here every chance that we get. Yeah, you're educating me because I never really liked him very much because I only saw him as a child and he was the model and whether he's good or not, you know, at the time I don't care about that because it's just, he's doing the gimmick well, you know, he comes out and he irritates me and like I'm probably eight, nine, ten years old and it's like, you know, what am I going to say about him other than, you know, mm -hmm. and so seeing him as a baby face and like, folks, if, if you don't do anything else, go watch the moment where he's in the ring by himself. Miz is not exaggerating the ovation and the shaking of the camera and the place. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this is an awesome match, and uh, Rick Martel is the highlight, but I really got to shout out Tito Santana as well. I got to definitely shout out Haku, who is mm. just monstrous in this match. Um, he's got this move. I love when he does this. He picks up the guy for a, a backbreaker and like slams him down across the knee and still holds him, gets back up again and does it again. And he just like, he does it as much as he wants to. And he's this guy. Oh, 
Ooh, Haku, man. He's great. He's such a beast. It's ridiculous. Yeah, these two, um, I am not sl- uh, slow to the take on. Uh, Tito was El Matador when I started watching, and early on he was one of my favorites. Like, I just, I loved his finisher. I loved how he moved in the ring. Mm. And Haku, you know, of course, as Ming was like, it's, it's that sad 1994 narrative that we won't get into that there was a lot more that could have happened. Haku here looks like he might be the son of Ming rather than a, a younger version, but both of them are great. And that's a, you know, what can you do? Right. Yeah. Still so weirded out by Haku and Ming seemingly being different people. You're so right about that. So the body type is impossibly different. <laughs> it, it, it just, it makes no sense because I literally watched his career straight through from from WWF to WCW and still like there was no linking moment there was no missing link uh Haku where he was like halfway in between Haku and Meng just one day he was Haku and then one day he's in WCW and he was Meng and I cannot explain it it's the weirdest thing there's something humbling about it when I see it because mm. their lives are different than ours because they are in a profession where they know it's public and they know people are watching and people are making assessments and so it will always be different than comparing that to kind of the regular jobs that we work. But at the same time, seeing him so different always reminds me we are benefiting in all that we do off of the lives that these people are living and giving to the sport. Like it would be so strange if someone came by and was like, I'm going to do a podcast on YouTube. So man, I thought in 2015 when you guys were working at your jobs, you know, you were a little different back then. It wasn't really working. Was it? And I'd be like, we're like, get the fuck out of my space, number one. But we are watching, you know, a lot of these wrestlers as almost children when they come in. And then they're 20-somethings. And then they're 30-something. And for some of them, then they're 60 and 70 and 80. You know, so their body types change. Their attitudes, their views of the world change. So it's just, I think you forget that sometimes. And I don't know, every time I see Ming as Haku, because he really looks like he's Haku's son, or Ming's son in a spinoff instead of, young Ming, you know, it just blows my mind. It makes me think, my God, we are watching these people grow up on camera. Yeah, it's a great point. And um, for as much as wrestlers go through, yeah, I I never want to blame them for changing their styles or changing their attitudes or even changing the shapes of their body. I just still don't know how we did it because I swear to God, Ming is like taller. He's not just bigger. He's like six inches taller at least. I don't understand it, but it's it's great. So. I don't know if you break that wooden chair that Dusty Rose breaks over his head that, that like just either hangs on his shoulder or around his head. I don't remember. On Haku, it might just go down his body. <laughs> yes, you know? right. Uh, it's um, it's a baffling thing. Um, all right, one last thing to shout out in this match. Like I mentioned, Nick Bachwinkel on commentary, and I really got to emphasize how much I enjoy him in this role, and I wish he had gotten to do it more. Uh, it was not to be. But he's got a lot of great lines in here early on. He's like, well, Strike Force, uh, they have a lot of smooth moves, and they've got some luck. I don't know if they can beat the Islanders. And it's great. He's so, like, cool and measured. And he'll give them some credit, but also, like, kind of slap them in the face at the same time. Man, it's he's very good at what he does. I, yeah. I got so many Bachwinkle quotes. And that one continues because he makes the statement pretty much that anybody can look good at the beginning of it. A match doesn't really start for 10 to 15 minutes in. Mm. And then when the Islanders are winning later, he says, this is when the battle starts to show. And yeah, so he continues that point throughout the match. 
And they've got one more, but I'll wait till we kind of finish it because it goes with how the match ended. Mm -hmm. But he also has a quote I've never heard in my life that I need to write down outside of my notes because I want to use it like in a real world situation. (laughs) What is that quote? We might as well get to it. It is something on um, how like pretty much life is unfair. So uh, Bruce Pritchard is complaining about uh, tights being used by the Islanders. And he says, that's the way it goes. Life in the big city. (laughs) And I just want to say life in the big city to someone right when they're complaining about something and just walk away. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know what the hell that fully means, but it's like, Oh, that's life (laughs) in the big city. There you go. Uh, it's a great line. It's a great turn of phrase. Nick Bockwiller on commentary is kind of like a calm Jesse yeah. Ventura. Like, he's not going to, like, jump and yell like Ventura might, but uh, he's kind of got the same analytical sense. He's going to call what he sees. He's going to maybe make excuses, but they're going to be, like, very reasonable, very hard to refute um, excuses if he does make them. Um, so, I don't know. I love Bachwinkle. Uh There's one point where Tom is, like, begging off or something, and Rick Martell kind of backs off of him, and Bachwinkle's like, oh, this guy's stupid for not rushing in to uh, attack when his opponent is down, and that's not only is, is it uh, always a good call from a heel commentary, but I gotta mention that Bachwinkle and Martell had an enormous feud in AWA, uh, which is one of my favorite feuds of the decade, and uh, I appreciate that I feel like that rivalry is continuing a little bit in this match. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. These are, yeah, these are the things, folks. You can, it can be another promotion another time, but, you know, if nobody else remembers, you can bet the, uh, the competitors remember. That's that's lovely. I like that tie-in. Uh, this match is, is surprising when I watch it because the, the match spills out to the floor and there's a, a slingshot back into the ring by... Um, strike force, but it happens a little late, and they actually lose the match to the Islanders by count out. Yeah, they they are counted out, um, and uh, you you think the referee could have given just like a little bit of leeway uh, to let that match keep going because it's really right on the line, but uh, it is not to be. So yes, a a sort of rare babyface loss, uh, but of course it's not really a loss. Um, oh, we do of course have Bachwinkle questioning. His strike force let themselves get counted out on purpose. Yeah. He said they were running out of gas and needed a way out. <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting comment because they you would think that they, of all people in, the, in WWF, if they want to get back in the ring, they can get back in the ring. It's true. It's that little bit of credibility again that you get from a guy like uh, Bachwinkle or Ventura where – they, they might make a claim, and you're like, that can't be... Well, I don't know, yeah. maybe, you know? Like, you can't be quite sure. I uh, love it. It's a great match. I hope that people will check it out. Yeah, absolutely check it out. Um, it's a great few quick-footed, light-footed, uh, people moving around in ways that you don't always see in this era, and they got they got that oomph, they got that uh, signature style. It's just it's good, and it's worth a watch. Absolutely. It's going to beat the hell out of the... Uh, a team that Strikeforce has to take on a little bit later, but we'll get to that. So. <laughs> yeah, so quickly, almost the same prime time, we have one of the kind of, one of the most consequential promos uh, in this era is just kind of, is kind of right here. So we jump on that too. Hulk Hogan is responding to whether or not he will sell the WWF title to the Million Dollar Man. And all but uh, two sentences 
is all about how he, you know, it might be a pretty good idea idea to do it. <laughs> yeah, he teases very hard that he might actually uh, take the money. And I got to say, I really appreciate from Hogan here. It's weird how much I, I say that about Hogan in this time and this place. Um, but uh, I like that he teases not only like I could use this money for myself, but he's like, I could really help like the kids, the children, the Hulkamaniacs. I could do so many things to make their lives better. He almost convinces you, like, you don't necessarily think he's going to take the money, but you almost think maybe it would have been better if you had taken the money. Like, you might have been able to actually do more good for these kids if you did it. Yeah, and it's also, he's not getting a lot of pop in the promo because it's all about, oh, well, I could take the money and sell out. But when he says, oh, and I could give it to the Hulkamaniacs, you get the first pop of the promo. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's it's a brave way to go. It, It almost mirrors... The promo is almost the same mirror for why Hulk Hogan is so good in this era, because he considers things he doesn't consider in other eras. He goes places he doesn't go. You know, he gets beat up. He's losing. You know, there's actually all of this kind of like conflict that just is not there. Mm. And you do. You start to feel like, well, why why not just take the money? And he also calls the million dollar man the multi million dollar man, which is just so perfect for this era that oh well he de- his debut is the million million dollar man, but he's doing well, so now we got to lift him even bigger and bigger and bigger so that he can fit in this world. <laughs> yeah, I, it, probably even in the late eighties, just having one million dollars was probably not as much uh, as it used to be. So Hogan yeah. thinking ahead financially, I guess. Um, beyond how well Hogan sells, the considering. Um, I was uh, a little surprised that he swears when he says no. He yes. says, hell no. He's going to teach all the, the little holsters to swear. I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I was a child in, in at that time, a very uh, Christian conservative uh, home when I first heard this. And I don't know if it's the profanity because it's all about maybe I'll do it until he just says, hell no. And it shook me as a child because I didn't know, like, I didn't even know how to articulate, but he had, he went somewhere where I didn't think he could go and brought something back that I didn't think he could bring back. And, but, but again, as an adult, I realized he went and got the unsanctified, but when he, when he brings it back across the lines that he draws, it becomes sanctified in his using it. So, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. So did you see this promo as a child on a tape or something? Yeah, so oh, wow. this would probably be uh, 91 or 92. Like, I was, a, I was a, a WCW fan. My younger brother is a WCW fan, but my older brother, who was seven years older, was a WWF fan and a Hulk Hogan fan. So we started immediately. He had just got his license. We started going to video stores and finding any tapes from the 80s to try to fill in our, like, what happened until 1991. And um, I don't know how we came across this, uh, but somehow we did. I don't know how it happened. There's also the fact that I think my older brother might have been watching wrestling before we were, but we none of us were allowed to because <laughs> we started watching it on TBS and WCW. And then he's like, well, this isn't even like the good promotion or the big promotion. There's one with Hulk Hogan. And like, like, how did he know these things? I don't know. So there's a lot of gaps that maybe he could fill in that I can't fill in as a young child. That's very interesting stuff. I love looking back to uh, this is the time element again. We're, we're in it right now. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 
Uh, um, I'll say, yeah, I, uh, I share your, um, some of your history here. I was in a conservative family as well, probably a little different, but, um, I remember we played the, uh, Donkey Kong Country 64 mm-hmm. video game. And that, that game starts out with a little theme song and had the word hell in it. And we were very scandalized by oh, that. We okay. weren't sure if we were allowed to keep playing that game. But uh, we didn't say anything. We played it anyway. So it was very scandalous, though, at the time. So I feel you. Well done. Is there <laughs> Was someone to decide or, like, is there a decision that we're not going, like, okay, we're just going to keep on going with this? Oh, you know? I don't think we ever even articulated it. Okay. We just, uh, we're, well, you know, mom and dad aren't here. So la, 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 la. We're going to nice. keep playing. <laughs> I feel like I am the one, as much as I don't want to be the one of the three of my uh, siblings that would have been involved, that would have been, like, well, we can't do this because we're not supposed to. Because that line always felt so real, even if there was no governing factor. But I think someone else would have been like, "Nope, yeah, we're going. We're going to keep doing this." So. <laughs> I was probably uh, that one as well, if anything. But uh, I don't know. I made it past that mental block. So <laughs> Donkey Kong Country is awesome. So you made so the right good. Trip. Yeah. I also think that what Hulk Hogan is so smart, maybe the smartest person in the business at promos at this time, because he is the boundary setter. And I honestly think he should have left the promo at hell no, rather than saying, if you want the WWF title, uh, come and try to get it. Mm. That was an invitation that, in retrospect, maybe should have just been left off the table. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, looking at what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah. Also, Heenan, uh, after this, they go back to the, the primetime studio, and Heenan uh, is foreshadowing that Ted should have made that offer to him. So that's that's a nice piece of looking forward that we're going to expand on as we go. It is. And uh, Heenan is going to allude to some things in Saturday Night's main event. And, it, you know, it's also fun. We got this new multi-million dollar man. We got Bobby Heenan, who's not thriving at the level that he wants to thrive. He gives a gift that is like a stolen things that he didn't have to pay for. Like the door is wide open for what you would never see coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. So, so we got some hot stuff coming very soon. Um, but first, we got another hot event. We got Saturday Night's main event, and it's not about Hogan and DiBiase. It's about Hogan and Andre, Hogan and Bundy. Hogan really beset from uh, many sides at this point. But, hey, that's uh, what I like to see. I love an interconnected world where more than one thing can be happening to a person at one time. Yeah. It's an amazing thing, and we'll get into that because Andre, again, comes off as MVP in this. That's one of my takeaways uh, from this. And so we'll get into it, but Jake Roberts is kicking off the rapid-fire promos in the January 2nd, 1988 Saturday Night's main event. He tells us it is 88, a new year for me, a new year for Damien, two snakes eternal, uh, and he sent plans on changing the future of Sika and Fuji with the DDT. Jake Roberts, we've talked some, we've kind of questioned his legacy a little bit on this show, and mostly just in terms of uh, in the ring, but we've questioned him a bit. I will say this, uh, I don't know if you know this, but on uh, Dynamite, uh, just a, a week or two ago, he brought that snake out to menace Brandy Rhodes, and I gotta say, I could have hardly popped more than I did. Uh, so there's something about Jake, you know, like he is... Um, He's, like, imprinted on my consciousness and all the great things he's done and, uh, like, the things about him. He just had a, a promo, a dueling promo with Arn Anderson on the last episode and that, you know, just think about that for a second. So 
I got to show respect to all the really great things about Jake the Snake as well, even as we question maybe some of the quality of his matches. Yeah. I have got I got a text message about that Arn Jake, <laughs> but I haven't watched it yet, so we'll see. Uh, Jimmy Hart, Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine, too, is another one. That if you watch him in the wrong era, you think that he offered nothing to the business when that is so far from the truth. Oh, man. If anyone from any era watches that and thinks that, then we're going to have some words because I'm going <laughs> to talk so much about how I love Greg Valentine on this show. Oh, man. Good, good. So he says there's one bird and one bird brain as they will be taking on Coco Beware later in the show. Uh, we get Strike Force, who... They are they're about the peppiest uh, baby faces in this world at the moment. They're going to strike hard, strike fast, strike force, or whatever the hell. And I, I started to get it later in the match. I'll bring that up when, it, when we get to it. Jesse Ventura helps me understand the era better than anybody in the era. Mm, he has a talent like he, for that. He, yeah, he's always explaining what it means. And sometimes you're so far out of the era that you need that. So, mm. Oh, man, Bundy and Andre. Bundy, Andre, and Heenan. And again, just like... Russian nesting dolls. They could fit inside each other. I love yeah. the, the size difference between these three. Um, yep, Heenan with the fancy jacket with the neck brace. Bundy and Andre are there. Heenan says he's got to step aside as manager tonight so Andre can uh, officially be at ringside. He can't be thrown out again. Uh, he'll be with Bundy. Uh, they all chant for Bundamania, even Andre. So there he's being a team player again, even though I don't know if he really cares if Bundy wins or not, but he's going to at least show support to the family. Yeah, it doesn't matter if he cares or not. Like, the opportunity is Bundy's, not Andre's. True. And, and Andre does everything he can, including joining a chant. And it, I'll talk about it all night because it comes back again. And again, this is a man who treated Hulk Hogan the same way, and all he wanted was one title shot or not to be upstaged in a ceremony. Yeah. So I love the consistency that Andre cares deeply, maybe to a fault, about who he is working with and possibly getting taken advantage of on both sides is Andre the Giant. Mm -hmm. I wish I – we covered a lot of stuff in the run-up to WrestleMania 3, but thinking back, one thing I think we missed, did we watch the promo with Captain Lou Albano and Andre? I don't think so. Oh, man, I wish we had. Um, it was a great moment because Captain Lou Albano was managing Andre uh, before he helped him come in, like, as the giant machine or whatever, that whole angle they did when Andre was, like, suspended and he came back under the mask. And then Albano retired, and Andre was kind of stuck, still suspended, and that's why Heenan was able to kind of bring him back because he was able to get him reinstated and get him this title shot. So it was very mm -hmm. important, and they do uh, a promo with Andre and Captain Lou Albano comes out of retirement to like talk to Andre and kind of like condemn him for what he did. But Andre, you know, I feel like he's so hurt by the fact that this guy like just kind of retired and, and left him in the lurch. And there's such like intensity in this promo and it's, it doesn't even get physical or anything. But what you were saying about Andre, he really cares about who he works with. I think he was really hurt by that. And I think that's part of what drove him to go over to Heenan. So Andre showing some loyalty, even as he just kind of does whatever the hell he wants. I think that's an important yeah. part of his character. It is. That's so, so profound, so important. It's almost got an NWO, WCW feeling again, too, that mm. when certain people make moves, it ripples throughout the entirety of the company. Yeah. And we'll see that again when Andre attacks Hogan later in the show. Uh, one thing. 
Oh man, we'll we'll get to it as the show goes on. But this is another this is another um, Andre as uh, MVP. Andre is up there with Savage and Hogan. He's as good as any of them in this era. And I'm gonna go ahead and say it. So here's the thing that I just want to put out there. Objectively, you cannot look at WrestleMania three and not say it's one of the most impressive kind of events that gets put on because of what it means in that era. Mm-hmm. I have learned one thing from this show. WrestleMania three is not nearly as impressive as the continuity and sustained feud between Hogan and Andre and the authenticity and what prevails out of it. Oh yeah. I mean, this is about a year almost that's going on at this point. It's not over yet. so these are like, this is Kevin Nash spearing Ray Mysterio in the side of that building. Like those kind of nights, this is about the closest thing that I've consistently felt to it. And it's weird. They're 10 years apart. One's WWF, one's WCW, but they are conquering the entirety of the world with the stories they're telling. And you understand why when you watch it, like the patience and the weight of every single encounter. And also just the respect. There's something about letting like sometimes Hogan's in the Hogan role and sometimes Andre's in the Hogan. A lot of times Andre's in the Hogan role. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the NWO. Like I was I was a fan of a lot of WCW guys, but it was hard not to like the NWO because, you know, they were kind of it at the time. Yeah. And I there are times here that I think Hulk Hogan's got the belt and he got past Andre, but Andre has not passed the torch yet. Hulk Hogan still has to bend the knee, which rarely happens in his career mm-hmm. when Andre the Giant is on camera. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see after WrestleMania 4 because some things are going to change. And uh, after SummerSlam and... You know, eventually their conflicts are finally going to be over. But will Andre ever really fully, mm-hmm. like, like he put Hogan over so well and there's really yeah. no doubt. You can't say that he didn't. But also, Andre doesn't exactly diminish either right away. Like, eventually he will because he has to. But he remained this looming figure even over Hogan at times for so long after. And it's just, it's, it's the legend, the myth of Andre. Yeah. The, the most disappointing thing to me that keeps me from being a wrestling fan. TNA has been guilty of it. WWF. It might be too many wrestlers. It might be too many writers. Uh, but putting somebody over and it might even mean that they become a champion and you're not going to be champion again, but it should not mean that you are never like you were. Like, you're not the same gimmick anymore. You don't have the same power. You don't have the same moveset. You don't impress people. Like, you just cease to be the gimmick. They just strip you of your gimmick and your history when you put somebody over. That is That that, that, that doesn't make sense. Mm. And that's the, nothing has turned me off in wrestling more than knowing. Like, as long as this guy is being pushed and I'm enjoying it, I'll have the time of my life. But the moment he's no longer champion, it'll be like he never existed in this form in any way. Right. And this is uh, what you said. He put Hogan over as much as anyone can be put over. But he didn't lose an inch of stature. He didn't lose an inch of what Andre the Giant is and embodies. And if anything, he's still growing in it and Hogan's still growing in it. There's a right way to do things and a wrong way. And again, I think part of it is letting wrestlers be themselves and have authenticity because as a writer, whether let's say Bobby Roode or Magnus, or whichever, all the heel champion, all the all these heels, mm-hmm. like they might lose interest in me. Like, okay, you're not important anymore. Right. And if I'm writing you, then you cease to have an identity. 
But if you drop from the world title to the mid card, but you're still in control of your character, you still keep your essence. And so this is an era where you don't ever lose your essence. And that's part of the reason I can stay with it. Mm-hmm. I, that's great when it's true. I think some people uh, maybe do lose some of their essence here. Um, but it's not necessarily because you put someone over. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad we've gotten as much King Kong Bundy as we have, but uh, he's never been quite who he was leading up to WrestleMania 2. Uh, we've talked about uh, Ricky Steamboat, who is still with the company, is just, like, not important at all anymore, uh, which is unfortunate. So even this era, guilty of that at times. But, yeah, when they get it right, they really get it right, and I do appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, Steamboat has definitely dropped. Bundy, is a, I, from my experience, is a little more questionable. This Bundamania thing has been something I didn't see coming, and it was... <laughs> a late resurgence, for sure. Um so, yeah, he, he has something to hang his head on, at least, even though he's kind of just a third wheel uh, in this Hogan-Andre program so that Andre doesn't have to do too much. Um, yeah. But still, you know, it's something for him, so I do appreciate it. And it takes Hogan. This is the second time that Hogan's going to come right over their promo. And he's like, that makes me sick. Because <laughs> I, he is flaunting Bundamania. Like, he is making a joke of Hulk Hogan and launching Bundamania. And Hogan has to quickly denounce it. He says, it's a cheap shot, a cheap win, and you're not for real, King Kong Bundy. And I love that Bundy and Bundamania are not for real yet. Bundamania is dead after tonight. Long live Hulkamania. So it's not for real, but we still got to kill it. That's a, yeah. There's a little bit of a question mark in there. <laughs> oh, Hogan. Yep. He's in space a little bit too, so we, <laughs> he can't always see the the Earth the way that he should. Yes, this is Jesse Ventura, Vincent Man on the call, and I have to admit, the deeper we get into this series, the more that these two are just beyond the pale. Like I look forward to seeing them together every time we do one of these shows. They're a great pairing, and uh, like I said before, we're spoiled for choice in this era because any of the four combinations between these four guys. Um, is pretty much going to be great in some way. Uh, Vince and Ventura, they just have, like, this great chemistry. And uh, I don't know if it's just because they're, like, two bulls locking horns all the times, or it's just because they're both, like, so over the top and out there, all of the above. But, yeah, they're very fun together. Yeah. We go straight back to Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene. And Hulk, Hulk Hogan, the boundary setting, the line drawer again says, uh, we get a Happy New Year hoaxer, and he says, what do you mean, Happy New Year, little man? And so Hogan <laughs> is angry. It's the hottest desert, the deepest sea, and the highest mountain all at the same time. And the only way it will be Happy New Year is if he destroys Bundamania and gets his hands on Andre the Giant. Mm-hmm. One way you can really tell that a guy is actually really doing a good job in his time and place is if he's on the show a bunch of times, you might not even notice it. Like, you won't hold it against him. I'm thinking Hogan had the promo, like, in space at the start, and then he had this promo, and then he has, like, another promo where he's talking about Ronald Reagan, and then he has a match, and then they're talking about him at the end, and it's, like, a lot of Hulk Hogan. But in the time and the place, it works. Like, you don't really mind it. Like, it feels like that's what it should be. So I'll definitely give some more credit there. Yeah, that I appreciate that because that is it's honest and it's deserved because you don't know exactly what he's gonna do. He is different in every one of those. Yeah. And again, like this is a guy that I would I I would like to go back and count between 1994 and 1996 how many promos or matches he was in that I could not have predicted the exact nature of them. <laughs> 
Oh man, surely zero, I would zero, think. Yeah. yeah, zero up until Bash at the Beach, maybe. So Yeah. And this is it's almost every single one here. Yeah. So I did not know. <laughs> Alright, so we got the Bolsheviks and Slick coming up next, and this is <laughs> this is interesting stuff. Uh, I gotta say, I don't really care one way or another about the Bolsheviks. They're like whatever to me. But Slick, Slick is a guy I think we have not talked about enough because uh, he kind of gets lost in the pantheon of great managers a little bit. But man, he is very fun. He's here talking about like Gorbachev and Russia, and like he's got a nickname for him, and like they're great, good friends and good buddies and. I don't know. Slick is a great manager. He's a great promo. He's very fun here. And I got to show him some love because uh, we haven't talked about him much just yet. Now this this is like uh, world champion manager material in this promo. Absolutely. Is, he says, we're not impressed. We're depressed. Those little warmongers, those pint-sized Rambos. <laughs> it is just strong. Like, And that's one thing. I don't know how much it's produced because I know when Bruce Pritchard came in, you know, he had very little – experience compared to Bobby Heenan and Gene and uh, Gorilla and he had to start like uh, producing them and you know they had never been produced and so you can imagine what that was like to go to them and start <laughs> telling them what they would do or, or how long they would have and you know so I never know what is given and what is not but it blows my mind that on these shows every promo almost is as potent as it can possibly be mm, yeah we're they slick. We're not impressed. We're depressed. You little warmongers. You pint-sized ramp. Like everything pops. And so yeah, high praise for slick. Yeah, I feel like I'm sure there are some bits that are produced, but I feel like it's not too many, or at least not too much. They're definitely not overproduced because no two promos or segments feel like they have the same voice unless they're being done by the same people. You know, it's not like nowadays in certain promotions like maybe every promo sounds the same people like pause in the same places and yeah. it's just like one could be the other and you can kind of just cookie cut them all apart in this era it's nothing like that there's really no sense of that so uh, there's a lot of unique voices clearly going into what makes this uh, so creative and so effective and this is also a strange time because i think with saturday night's main event some of the segments were produced by vince and wwf and some were produced by Dick Ebersol and NBC. Sure. So this is where, you know, WWF is kind of learning its television, how to be a television show. And I don't know much about Dick Ebersol, but I know that he preferred Macho Man and Elizabeth and thought they were great for television. So, wow. you know, point, points for him on that one. Yeah, interesting. I did not know that. Um, I wonder how much impact that had. Hmm. Yeah. He was always hanging out with them, always wanting them to be on on screen. Hmm. Because you know he was looking at his television, and then like it's not much more intriguing. I don't for him. I don't think than Randy Savage and Elizabeth. For sure. One thing I gotta say. I don't know if he came in quite yet. I think he did already. It's somewhere around here. Um, this might be unpopular uh, because uh, it's a guy that people dislike a lot now, and with good reason, I think. But uh, Kevin Dunn is a name you'll hear now and again. And I will say to his credit, when he came in and started working with their TV production. Like, the difference, I think, was noticeable. Like, he did a very good job of uh, just upgrading their production in general and uh, helping things look good, look the way they should. Um, what he's done uh, in the modern age can go to hell with so many camera cuts that I want to throw up when I watch a match. But uh, but in, in, in his time and place when he came in, he did them a lot of good, I think. 
Yeah, it, it is. Um, it's our job to call out to the best that we can see it what is real in the moment that we're calling. So like there's obviously going to be stuff. If you bring up the ultimate warrior, you bring up Hulk Hogan, bring up Shawn Michaels, you know, there's going to be everybody that you can make certain cases about, but you know, right now it's like this guy in 88, this guy in 99. So, you know, right. And I think that's big. I don't know him as well. I don't know what he's hated for. I don't know what he's liked for. So I just know the name and associate with WWF. But I think I'd like on this show that we try to get everyone that was, um, kind of operating on the table so we can see kind of what their legacy is. Mm. Uh, I want, yeah, go ahead. No, I just agreeing. Uh, what do we got? Let's go. I want to say this until they're, until they're off television because Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out <laughs> to help Andre the Giant. So he is our Hogan. So he's in the building. The Russian anthem is sung. Hacksaw Jim Duggan doesn't care and doesn't come out. So again, Hacksaw has lost the war. Yep. Hacksaw has made a liar. He's, he's made a quitter. <laughs> Oh, man, there's actually, this is rare, there's actually a Jim Duggan moment on this show that I actually like, um, so we're yes. going to get to that, and you know what I'm talking about already. But and I agree we'll with there. you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Strike Force, they are tag champions now. Uh, they were as well in the, the other clip we watched. I don't know if we mentioned, but they did beat the Hart Foundation, and uh, I didn't even realize till just when I was watching that clip, what a great way for Tito Santana's story to go full circle uh, Danny Davis, Jimmy Hart, screwing Tito Santana out of that Intercontinental Championship so that Randy Savage could win it. Uh, finally, like two years later almost, here he is beating Jimmy Hart's guys to become tag team champions. So I appreciate um, the, the continuity of that story, even if I have no idea if that was even intended, but I appreciate it anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. I think maybe Jesse said something about burst later. I don't know. I got this note added earlier, but... They're absurdly over the top with their smiles and their high fives and they're slapping each other on the chest. <laughs> but then I realized I think Strike and Strike Force is kind of like a burst, like they're wrestling. So every they're, they're, they're double down, drill down is like everything's a flash or a strike or a, a burst. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> hey, you know it works though because I love them. Yeah, it works, <laughs> but you, you just got to figure out what some, what somebody's drill down is to really know who they are in this era. <laughs> Except Hacksaw, because I thought his was his so-called patriotism, but, you know, he, he made a liar of himself. So. I, uh, Jim Duggan's drilled out as just being an unconscionable bully and everyone loving him for yeah. it for some reason. So. Great point. So oh, we're, we're going right into this. It's Strike Force, it's the Bolsheviks, and it's two out of three falls for the WWF Tag Team title. It is, yeah. And I, I enjoyed this insofar as Strike Force was involved. I thought they did well. Like I said, I don't really have any time for these Bolsheviks, these Russians. Um, Boris is a big downgrade from the Sheik. Uh, Volkov, yeah, Volkov is all right, but I don't know. He just never grabs me fully. Um, so, yeah, the highlights to me are Strike Force is great. Rick Martel, again, is just so fired up. It's ridiculous. And then uh, the only other note I really have of the match is at one point Boris Zukov makes a mistake and Vince McMahon just lays into him. He's like, that idiot, Boris! So yes. I got to love that. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be a two falls uh, straight victory for the Strike Force. Yep. Uh, there's commentary that I like. We got uh, Jesse Ventura says, they're not going to be able to pull any hair. That's one of their top tactics in the ring. <laughs> And Vincent Man responds with, I don't recall them ever pulling hair. <laughs> like Jessica Ventura is like, I'm exaggerating. I'm telling everybody pulls hair. So I'm telling the truth, but I'm exaggerating. Vincent Man is, I am full on lying. So. Vince <laughs> you know. McMahon is, um, you've seen Anchorman, right? 
Yes. Like Steve Carell's character sometimes <laughs> is like Vince yeah. McMahon as commentator. Like he doesn't always know what we're yelling about. Like he's just going to make loud noises sometimes. So. Oh, yes. That is so spot on. <laughs> and it's, it's supposed to be virtuous because it's 1987 or 88, I guess now. Right. Yep. For sure. Uh, Zoo, um, I think Zukov, we get, um, Jesse says, are you insinuating he's not a handsome guy? And Vince says, not with that head. <laughs> They're oh. obsessed with Boris Zukov's head being like yeah. especially large, and I guess it is, but I don't know if I would have noticed it. Yeah. But it's like his drill down thing. He's got a big head, so this is also good. about how I think Vince McMahon decides who's getting pushed and who's not is is about that simple most of the time. I can believe that he uh, maybe more later than now, but yeah, he, he probably takes a look at somebody and his first impression is hard to shake. So yeah. Like Christian was a guy that to him was just oh. kind of gross, you know. Weirdest story, but undoubtedly true. So. Yeah, and I, I haven't listened to it. I think it's a Jim Ross thing, but I think uh, there was a lot of selling to get Vince McMahon to even consider bringing Jericho in because he didn't see he didn't see it in Jericho either. All right, that is a shame, but Jericho had some real ugly looks at that time, so I don't know yeah. if uh, like with the weird hair and the weird facial hair, I don't know if Vince got that easily. Um. I don't know if he ever completely got Jericho for all the great stuff Jericho did do in that company. Mm. You know, I don't know. Yeah. There's always a little bit of a disconnect, maybe. You got to watch the set point sometimes, not to push like, oh, well, he won this belt and he did this thing. But where do they go to when they're not really doing stuff? Like how far down do they go? And Jericho would often find himself, you know, like that second match on WrestleMania type thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, this is a, just a great, great Jesse Ventura. So. Uh, there's choking going on with the boot, and Vince McMahon is complaining, and Jesse says, beautiful shine on those boots, though, McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's, um, in the Hogan and Bundy match, I think it is, um, I love how Ventura always finds something, like, to admire, even if it's, like, somebody cheating. Like, he'll just admire how well they cheat. He'll always yeah. have some, uh, something that you can't really deny is true. Like, the boots probably did have a good shine, but it's, like, <laughs> you yeah, can feel Vince Man's like frustration with that. I love it. It defeats Vince McMahon though because he yeah. is nothing but a straightforward force. So if you step left or step right, he has nowhere else to go. <laughs> like, it befuddles him. Like oh, I didn't know we were talking about Chinese. <laughs> I guess I'm behind now. He's always he's like spring loaded at all times to yeah. jump up and say you're wrong and like catch you. But Ventura, he'll never fall into that trap, you know. He'll he'll say things that he can defend, or he'll say things that you can't deny. And you're right, Vince McMahon often has no good response for that. Yeah, so great commentary. The first half of the show, uh, I don't think some of it pops as much for me as right. as other shows. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, we'll go to the back and Fuji and the giant jar of mustard. <laughs> I mentioned it. And I'm going to yeah. put this, another thing in the file of my uh, Fuji is in case I'm a bad manager theory because Sika has a, has a match with Jake Roberts and the way Fuji prepares him is he has a big jar of mustard and like a long piece of bread and they <laughs> say they're going to eat Jake's snake. So mm -hmm. this is Fuji like preparing his man for a match. So I don't know what to say about that except what I already said. I remembered your words as I was watching it. <laughs> and also... While he's stirring the great jar of mustard, I also wrote the guy that will thwart the Lex Express. <laughs> oh, life is hard and cruel. Oh, I'm so sorry. 
<laughs> he is by far the worst manager in this era, as far as you know his character, and you know, not he's just like the other ones in a way, like doing stupid over the top things. But his his over the top things just make no sense, and they're not inviting. <laughs> they make no sense at all. And I I love Mr. Fuji as a character. Yes. I think he's hugely entertaining. But there's no doubt, like the evidence piles up that. He was incompetent, like as a manager to his men. Um, yeah, because he's grown here. Because before he will, he wanted to antagonize them into bad situations. So, like, I think he's <laughs> he's grown a little bit. Maybe. Well, I'm just glad we didn't have to watch Sika eat a chicken again. Yeah. Like, I had enough of that to last my whole life. Uh, Sika again. I just I mention it every time because it's kind of mind blowing to me. The father of Roman Reigns. And as you said, uh, that's quite a generation of difference there. So, yeah. yeah. This is the first thing that's made me really respect Roman Reigns in an era where I don't even watch that stuff. <laughs> is like how you get from from this to that. I don't care how how it came about. That's that's impressive. Absolutely. So props to Roman Reigns, and you won't hear me say that often, but I just said it. Never, never Rob- had to eat a chicken on TV. God yeah. bless him. Yep. He's multi-time world champion, and they. It's so weird, all these multi-generation wrestlers, you know, but I, 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 when I was watching this, I tried to imagine Roman Reigns, oh, here's my father, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, props, again, props to Roman Reigns, so. There you go. There you and props go. to Roman Reigns for not going to WrestleMania as well, so he gets two for this show. Absolutely. Jake Roberts, uh, he is, uh. The snake and the DDT. We're getting a lot of DDT references uh, right now, too. So People love the DDT. You see with Jake, you'll see it with, uh, with Arn uh, and a lot of his run. Uh, people are just absolutely nuts about anyone who does a DDT. It helps that they're also usually great promos. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't really have any notes about this match. Like, just Jake wins. And yeah. it's Jake Roberts, who already said, is not doesn't pop that much in the ring. It is what it is. Sika, I've said... I think he stinks. I'm sorry. He was probably good in his tag team and his time. At this point, he stinks. Um, so mercifully, it's a quick match at least. And then Jake menaces Fuji with the snake. Yes. Um, so I only have a couple of notes. I said this was not a match. It's just uh, an excuse to get to the post-match. Yep. <laughs> um, Jake actually has to move faster than walking once in a while because he's supposed to be the quick person. And then there are kicks or punches to the stomach of Seacob. And I think uh, Vince, Vince has... Uh, to the lower area, the lower abdomen. And it's like, I, he doesn't know if that's an abdomen, I think, because there's no abs. Um, <laughs> so he doesn't know what kind of, he doesn't know what part of the body he's looking at. I think he's a little disgusted by it, but that's, that's the only other thing I picked up on. And then we move to the whole point of this, which is the snake and the mustard and the DDT and all the things we came for. Yep. So, Jake DDT's Fuji. Jesse and Jerry has the best line, which is, oh, his hat stayed on the entire time. <laughs> That is a good line. Uh, Mr. Hughes like or super colonial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was at this point wondering if this was go if if there was going to be anything to talk about this week, but you know. <laughs> <The show laughs> it it picks better. up from here considerably. Fortunately, yes. um, we go backstage. We see Bobby Keenan, who declares that Hogan is now going to have to fight the only two men who ever defeated him. Which is great framing because Andre, of course, the claim is still that he won at WrestleMania 3 and King Kong Bundy with the countout victory last week. Okerlund accuses Heenan of being too scared to come to ringside, uh, for which he is scolded and yelled at, of course. Um, 
So yeah, uh, good promo here. This is another good one. Like everything you said, Andre's loyal again, full support for the family. Opinion uh, says you finally get something right. P brain to Gene Erkelin. They're always going back and forth, and I like it. Favorite thing from this is what you've already said. Uh, you've been defeated by both men, WrestleMania three and last month. So that narrative continues and it continues hard and strong. And Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan are both strong willed, and they're batting this narrative back and forth for a year now. For a year, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm very glad that I raised um, the talking point when I did, and I predicted it would keep going because it has, and I uh, like to not be made a liar. So I'm glad yeah. that uh, my memory held up because this is like a huge part of the era, and it's something that, uh, again, it's not part of the narrative. Like if you mention this to somebody, Hogan Andre, oh yeah, the slam, and then they would forget all this other stuff, but it's important, so we're talking about it here. Absolutely. We go to Hulk Hogan, and they. This is the first title defense of 1988, and we get the dark cloud rhetoric, which will be Hogan's bag for the rest of his career. Like every time someone does something he doesn't like, there's a dark cloud hanging over the entirety of the world and the company and life and everything. This is a particularly weird Hogan promo because I don't know if it's sweat or oil or what, but he is just drenched for some reason, and he's like talking about Ronald Reagan, and he's looking just psychotic, and I don't know, this is like, this is some, uh, a little bit of a scary side of Hulkamania, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, so weird, I think they're in D.C., and so the, we get the uh, the Russian leader referenced uh, earlier, and now Hogan's had a summit with Ronald Reagan, but it wasn't really a summit, Ronald Reagan only came to prove that he was a Hulkamaniac, <laughs> so... <laughs> It's also, I think, the Vince McMahon world has always existed, that the WWF will be bigger than anything else that exists in the world. And you <laughs> will like just take it that way. There's like this K-Fob reality where the WWF really is like the most important thing, and it really yes. exists in this world, that like a president would meet Hulk Hogan just to show that he was like a fan of Hulk Hogan. So yeah. I got to respect their commitment to it. We're trying to run the country, but what are you going to do about Andre? He says he beats you at WrestleMania <laughs> Yeah, you know, that is the world that we were in, and that's also partly why they dominated for so long. Because if you're a WWF fan or a ex WWF wrestler from some of these eras, you really think that to even watch something else or to go join another company is you off in the cemetery, and like it, nothing worthwhile can happen outside of this space. And there's good and bad to that, but they it's believed and carried out by a lot of people in this time. Absolutely. Uh, this is where we're battling for the soul of the country, week in and week out. This is where all the real uh, important things happen. So He might have came to question, like, you know, there's a dark cloud. <laughs> like, a lot of people in the country are, are fearful of this dark cloud. I'm trying to tell them it's a WWF thing, but they see the dark cloud. What, are you going to do anything about it, Hulk Hogan? Damn <laughs> dark cloud. Yep. That dark Hogan cloud, was, yeah, it's coming to ringside, and that dark cloud looks a lot like King Kong Bundy and Andre the Giant in an enormous suit jacket. Once again, you got to keep shouting out the great fashion choices of Andre the Giant. Yeah, this is this is again Hulk Hogan for right now is on the defense, and Bundy and Andre are on the offense and on the move. So Hogan really needs to start making some things right mm. and get back on his feet. And he starts off strong; like he starts off dominating. King Kong Bundy. So there's elbows to the head. There's big clotheslines. Uh, Hogan knocking him out of the ring. Jesse Ventura even says Hogan's not holding anything back. But that, like, if the match goes on longer, that might be a mistake. So 
Hogan gets the first jump, but this is a long matchup, and that is not the entirety of the story. Absolutely not. Soon Bundy has some advantage. He regains it. Uh, he's, he's on top of Hogan. He's smothering him. I love that at one point, Andre uh, probably could have just stood there and not done anything this whole match, but he's, like, really active like any manager yeah. would be. I love when uh, Bundy puts Hogan in some kind of arm hold, and it's not like a finishing hold or anything, but Andre immediately is like, ask him, ask him, like, yes. he's going to maybe submit. Like, I, I appreciate stuff like that. And and the combination of being a giant, his head is higher than the second rope while he's standing on the floor, <laughs> and having the stature he has in the company. Can you imagine the pressure that puts on the referee when you're sell, like you're saying the guy's giving up, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to that, and it's it's very authentic, good details. I also like Hogan's in that armbar, and Hogan starts slapping his own hand, trying to get like filling back in his arm. And Jesse Ventura points that out and says that one of the pythons is slowly being disabled. Mm. That's good stuff. This is an era where Hulk Hogan pays attention to details, and um, that's part of it. Adds wrinkles to the story. It adds layers, and uh, it's really, I think, one of the thing things that makes him a lot better because uh, he's definitely going to come a time when you know he's probably more interested in making movies or tv yeah. shows and you know he's got his act down and it's second nature and he's not really thinking of any of these small details anymore but here he really does i was actually very impressed um with some of the selling of hulk hogan because uh, bundy works on his arm for a while hogan recovers he slams bundy but he's his arm has been attacked the whole match. And he's, yeah. like, selling the arm so much that the slam actually doesn't help him. It actually hurts him. And there's this whole story in the match where, I don't know, it's, it's really good. It's not something you'd think of from Hogan with his narrative. But he can do this stuff, and we're in a time and a place when he does. And it's, it's, it's very much to his benefit. It is. And there's a shocking point in the match. So Andre will advise Bundy later, and Bundy will come in and dominate to a silent crowd. And then there's a moment where Bundy... Could possibly have pinned Hulk Hogan, but he doesn't go for a pin. Jesse Ventura calls it out. Vince McMahon calls it out. And Hulk Hogan's going to come back. He's going to drop the leg. He's going to get the pin. And even after the match, Vince McMahon says if Bundy had not been greedy, pretty much the, like, he would have won the title. He would have beat Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I love when they can put over a story like that. Because if you do create doubt, then that does leave the door open uh, for a rematch. If you can tell that story, that's really important. And I will say, Hogan's victory is kind of sudden, but it sort of works, too, because they built up the story, and it did feel like Hogan just jumped in and took his shot, like, in the one opening he had, yeah. and he just made it just big enough that he got the win, but it doesn't, it's not like he blew off everything that happened, you know? It just looks like he got a big shot in, and he got the victory, and it really works. It works so well, and it's shocking to me to hear these admissions, but it only makes everyone better. So it's, again, why this era pops. And then, again, we have told you Andre the Giant has been the one who has wanted Hogan, and the fans have been behind it. Pay-per-view, Saturday night's main event. But then Hulk Hogan points to Andre, and this is their moment because kind of smart and kind of dumb. Like, Hulk Hogan is tired of this dark cloud, and he just took out one. Why not take out both? Andre the Giant chooses to walk away, which is different than everything that we've seen. Hulk Hogan must pose. But the moment Hulk Hogan turns around, you find out that same Andre is the only Andre in this era because he is back in the ring and he is after Hulk Hogan. Indeed. Hogan uh, laying down the invitation. And uh, I think it's a tactical error on Hogan's part that he, you know, 
goes to his posing while yeah. Andre is still in the vicinity. You know, it's a mistake. You could say it's a cheap shot from Andre, but if you know Andre is right in the area, you shouldn't turn your back. You shouldn't start posing like there's no threat. And uh, Hogan really pays for it because Andre comes in, he wraps his hands around Hogan's neck, and we get one of the hottest segments that I've seen in this era because Andre just chokes and chokes and chokes Hogan. The British Bulldogs come out. They try to peel Andre off, and they can't do it. Andre lets go just long enough to smash them together and throw them out, which was awesome. And then he's back to choking him, and we get Junkyard Dogs, Strike Force, Jake Roberts. Everyone is trying to get Andre off. They're hitting him. They're pulling him. He just will not let go. He is relentless. Jim Duggan comes down and starts smashing Andre in the back with a two-by-four. Andre lets go only to threaten Jim Duggan, and this is the part that I like the most. Jim Duggan actually runs away from Andre the Giant, which I don't think I have ever seen before. One of my biggest beefs with Jim Duggan is that he never sells anything as a threat. He actually sold a threat, and it worked, and it was good. Andre finally, finally, um, is gotten away from Hogan, and he has to be helped out, and Andre is holding the title. And, man, this is a badass segment. I love this. This is one of the best segments in in the Legacy series so far. Yeah. And the strange thing is, if I if I put it on a list, how many others would also be Hogan Andre from those promos before WrestleMania three onward? Sure. You know, the stakes are so high, and you you're so smart to say that Hulk Hogan made a mistake by turning his back, and because it's also not unfamiliar. What's so beautiful is when he comes up behind him and grabs him and headbutts him. He has him in the exact same hold at first that he had him in the battle royal when he slings him over the top rope. Yep. So you found yourself in this before. You had no counter. We're a year later, and you are just as weak to it as you were then. This is not looking good. And then he starts choking Hulk Hogan, and Jesse Ventura, shocked, says, look how small Hogan looks. And it's it's not even – it's not an attack on Hulk Hogan. It's an admission and Jesse Ventura, as much as he hates Hulk Hogan, is all in reverence and com- competitiveness. And for this moment, he has nobody to compete with because Hulk Hogan is being deflated like a like a like some kind of toy that has lost the air in it. He is just being deflated. And Andre the Giant is again is again in his heel nature, in whatever you want to call it. Don't tell him that he's behaving almost like the baby face, conquering the world, getting back to what was stolen from him. And the one thing I want to impress upon the listener, the level that Hulk Hogan reaches and Randy Savage reaches and the ultimate warrior reaches, put no man above Andre the Giant. He is up there with anybody. And I think the greatest uh, salute to what Hulk Hogan did in this era because it's unlike almost anything that's ever done. This man was put over for over a year by Andre the Giant and this Andre the Giant feud. And Andre the Giant is as critical in this era as Hulk Hogan. Mm. And I don't think I would say that about anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's in that rare era up with Hogan that uh, almost nobody can stand in. Um, and yeah, I agree. It's one of the best segments of the legacy series that we've done so far. And, uh, man, I just, I can't stress enough the visual 
of all of these guys. And these are like significant people. These aren't just like the job squad, you know, yeah. they are just wailing on Andre and it's not like he's not hurt, but it's like, it doesn't matter enough to make him let go. Like his desire to take down Hogan is just strong enough that he's going to hold on pretty much no matter what. So it's just, it's a great, great segment. Absolutely. Miss Van just told you the brilliance and beauty of this. He, he doesn't go down to all of these stars attacking him, not because he's a giant, but because of his desire and adrenaline to get at Hulk Hogan and that narrative and that title. Mm. That is space that belongs to the baby face in the way we break down the world. But that is not what is happening. This is not being Andre the Giant. It is Andre and his energy. It's the same reason that someone could be injured maybe for the rest of their life, but they finish the match that they are in and maybe don't even know they're hurt. This is an adrenaline rush for Andre the Giant when he gets at Hulk Hogan because he really believes, really believes, I was here before you. I was your mentor. I supported you. I lifted you up. I only wanted a shot. You wouldn't give it to me. I was the better man at WrestleMania 3. I was the better man after WrestleMania 3. I am the better man now. Put me in the ring with you, and I will defeat you. I am virtuous in this. That is Andre the Giant's narrative, and it is embodied, and it pops off of him. And, man, the British Bulldogs, bullies in the back can't do anything he throws them over the top jesse says like two sacks of garbage on the floor mm. hacksaw jim duggan backs down and looks right for the first time in his life in doing so hulk hogan just withers away and this guy it's hard to put anybody over hulk hogan in any of these years because of so much that he's done but the mvp of this era may well be andre the giant He's uh, he's up there. Hogan, Savage, Andre. I don't think uh, for this last year that we've talked about. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else can be in that conversation. So yeah. one last layer to what you're saying about uh, Andre taking the space of a baby face and being virtuous. How many times have we seen a baby face is justified in any action that they may take because they are getting revenge for some wrong, for a friend, for something that was done? Now carefully note the symmetry of this attack and Hulk Hogan going after Bobby the Brain Heenan on the previous show. Look at the way both guys were being choked. Look at the way both incidents were treated after the fact. We have to wait to the end of the show, get updates on the serious health concern. Look at how the tables are turned. Last time we had the heels worried about Heenan and the faces laughing and not caring. And now the reverse. So a beautiful point of symmetry, a beautiful turning of the tables. Um, this is great. You know, I, I love this. This is very layered. Oh, that's another amazing uh, layer with the double choke and the positioning. And as you said, that another layer comes to my mind in that how few times baby faces and Hulk Hogan in particular ever steps aside for anybody. Hmm. So Andre the Giant, who wanted Hulk Hogan, who really was next in line for multiple months, he stood aside for King Kong Bundy. And until Bundy and Hogan was done, he did nothing but what, what you said. He stood on the floor and acted as an advocate and a manager. Hulk Hogan, 
will step aside indirectly with Randy Savage. It's not even stepping aside because he just doesn't get to the finals of the tournament. And even on the night he wins the belt, Hogan will be there in front of Randy Savage. So Andre the Giant wants these things as bad as Hulk Hogan. But it's Andre the Giant who will honestly stand aside for a friend, whereas Hulk Hogan never really will. (laughs) A great point as well. Andre the Giant, could he be more virtuous than Hulk Hogan? It's very possible. (laughs) Man, and it's these two. It's a beautiful thing, though, because Hulk Hogan is lifting the world up by the power of Hulkamania, Mm. and it's kind of the narrative. But Andre the Giant is lifting the world up, too, and I think you really got to see this narrative almost as there was never a heel turn as far as Andre the Giant goes. Hmm. And that changes how you look at everything. Yeah. Yeah, he may have associated with people that uh, you wish he didn't. He may... um, No, that's about it, probably. (laughs) You know, that's probably the only crime that he committed is standing next to Bobby the Brain Heenan. And that's what Hogan uh, condemns him for in the first place. He says, you can't be here with him. And that's uh, that's that's the thing which set all of this in motion. So it's a very interesting point. I like it. And for all Hogan's accusations, I'm not seeing that one that Andre was always evil coming back more than one time. Like that one didn't get much legs. No. Andre still carries himself. I am a representative representative of this company. Yeah. And so this Hogan Andre thing is way more compelling for very different reasons than it might sometimes get the credit for. It is not simply strong man slams a big man. Ugh, I hate that narrative. I'll fight yeah. it every time I can. <laughs> it is. A, this is beautiful stuff. And it, even in a show that was not as strong, like, I, 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 I don't know how long it's going to be hard to do this because when I find myself looking forward to Hulk Hogan and the great payoff comes with Hulk Hogan, I don't even know what world I'm existing in, but... <laughs> The this 80s, my friend. It's a special, yeah. different time than the 90s, uh, which we'll see a very big reversal of that, and uh, we'll be on more familiar ground. So Jesse Ventura is with Jimmy Hart and Greg Valentine. Um, there's, a, uh, there's some disparaging of Gene Arkelin that goes on in this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad to see Greg Valentine here uh, on his own. Um, you didn't need Brutus Beefcake, who he's still feuding with, apparently, even though Johnny V is long gone. Um, he, uh, he's with Jimmy Hart now. Uh, he doesn't have Dino Bravo anymore, which is fine. Um, I like Greg Valentine, the singles guy, and I don't think we get to see him enough, so I'm excited for this run. I think we're going to see some good stuff, minus, uh, this crappy Beefcake feud that we have to get through. Yes, I like Valentine. I like his opponent, Coco Beware, who says that they are featherweights, and Bruce Beefcake has been teaching him how to clip those wings. I could have done without the uh, Beefcake reference, but we won't be able to escape him in this match, unfortunately. Here, I want to say this. I'll ask you a question, and you can tell me what you think. Is there ever a wrestler who is more well-suited to their nickname than Greg the Hammer Valentine? That's almost my entire notes on the page for this one. I love this guy. This is why even, like, there's there's probably a long time where Greg Valentine uh, doesn't do a lot. Like, he's just kind of low on the card, and you see him, like, not too much on pay-per-views, just on TV. But, man, I never get tired of seeing this guy just because the way he hammers people, like, there are very few people who can do the, that the way that he does. He just 
bludgeons people. He doesn't have fists. He just has, like, clubs, like heavy hammers that he just smashes people with. I don't know. I love it. It gets me every time. I wrote down Valentine is his hammer. Short circumference dropping his weight and power. <laughs> oh, I love it. I really enjoy this match, actually. The, the, the most important thing story-wise is that Brutus Beefcake comes down and he's distracting and he's clicking his dumb scissors. Joey Morelli kicks him out, which Ventura is impressed by, <laughs> which I appreciated. But yeah. the match itself is like not even story, but I really enjoy this match because you do get Greg Valentine just as this unstoppable bludgeon, and he's so good at it. And Coco Beware, who tragically is the punchline of like, oh, he's that guy who shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Well, shut up, because Coco Beware is freaking great, and he does a great job in this match as well. I really like this match. I think I wish more attention had been paid to the match itself. Coco Beware should be in the Hall of Fame off his pile driver song. Hell yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Here, I give you the applause for that because you deserve it. Thank you. And I appreciate WWF because Jimmy Hart um pretty much tells him, like, while Coco is being beat down, like, do your pile driver now. Like, perform your song now. So. <laughs> It's great, and it's awesome, too, because they don't even talk about this, but Jimmy Hart was like a huge uh, musical force yes. in the WWF, and they even talked about it on the first album, the one they did before Piledriver. He even has a song uh, Jimmy Hart does on that album, which is on my regular Spotify list because it's a genuinely great song. But, yeah, you right. get like this musical feud, so there's a lot of great uh, elements to that. I really appreciate it. Which song is this? Um, oh, it's called, uh, I think, Eat Your Heart Out, Rick Springfield. Um, okay. I <laughs> it's about I like him feuding with uh, Rick Springfield over his girlfriend's affection, and it's great. I love it. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> I was also thinking about this because it, it makes me sick, and I, I don't know why I haven't put this tie-in together more often, but if I were a manager in this era, there would be one thing. My my, I would send my group to steal away the two by four and the scissors and then the props. Yes. Yeah. Cause these are two of the worst bullies in the history of professional wrestling. And I think if you take away the scissors and the two by four, they've got nothing. Take the snake away too. Yeah. Oh, the snake. They take the snake All these away. Uh, baby faces who have uh, props that they use in post match. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a whole lot of them. Uh, it's a big trend in this era for sure. And you know what? It works because all these guys are really over. People wait to see what happens after the match because they're looking forward to it. We're going to see Ted DiBiase shoving money in people's mouths soon too. So there's a lot of that in this era. It's very effective, but you're right. Steal those props and they won't have anything at all that they can do. It's also these baby face narratives and because every Vince McMahon narrative is like, look at these managers interfering, but nobody says anything about the props, which are equalizers and then some. Absolutely. Uh, I think Jesse asked, like, why does this, why did the managers have to be beat up after every matchup, you know, while, while Mr. Fuji is being assaulted? And I don't know. I would, in a world of you do what you have to do, if we, ha if we have to apply virtue to everything, which I don't know that we need to, but if we have to, I think having a manager who supports you and sometimes gets excited and maybe does too much is more virtuous than having an object that is clearly only there for assaults. Like putting a snake on somebody every single time that you wrestle them seems a bit of a stretch. The snake's not breaking out of the bag in excitement 
you know, is being thrust on somebody. <laughs> and Poco Beware has a bird, but the bird that, that, that's not do, that's not doing what the two by four and uh, yeah, the bird is not pecking people's eyes after the match yeah. or something. <laughs> it's, it's even not worse. Right. Um, well, sorry, what were you gonna say? I, I just say there's no there's something that's not right about it, but that's all I was gonna say. It's even worse on the weekly TV because you know, of course, like I mentioned, I watched a lot of wrestling challenges. He did a lot of commentary there, and they do this to just like hapless jobbers who yeah. aren't even really heels. They don't do anything except like make the mistake of getting booked against someone who has some like humiliating post match ritual that they have to do every time. So. Um, the crowd always pops because 80s crowds are kind of jerks also. But uh, you know what? It's effective, uh, even if it's very unkind to our modern eyes. That's why. But that's, again, it's not really about good and bad. It's about which side of the line are yep. you on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You cannot. An enhancement talent exists in that ring, and they haven't done anything to anybody but what side, what line are they, what side of the line. And also, they're inferior. They lose, and there's nothing as gross in this era as not being able to win. So. <laughs> Uh, it's a very 80s mentality, yeah. It's it about uh, being winners, but only if you do it in the true American way. You got to just be on the right side of the line, and then you can bully people. It's fine. So, because the way I think is the way, what brought all of this up is just the way Bruce Beefcake struts around. Ugh. And I think if you take those gigantic scissors, it's like it's not gonna happen. Like I don't even know if he would take on Jimmy Hart by himself. <laughs> right, without the scissors, he would just he would have to go home. You know. Yeah, God, and then God you know, Hacksaw is the same way. Like Hacksaw is like gonna go from from promotion to promotion, assaulting people with the power. And that's like, again, people that don't think we like Ricky Steamboat. At least he does what he does with nothing but a bad temper. Yeah, true. Well, <laughs> he'll be breathing fire uh, when he comes yeah, back, but at least he doesn't breathe fire on people. So come on, give him some credit. Yeah, so that one again. We haven't seen a lot of beefcake, and I do think I'm gonna like some of his barbershop segments, but you won't. Oh man, sorry. <laughs> uh, the, just the one, and it has nothing to do with him. It's all Sean and Jeanette. Oh man, I had to. I tried very hard to watch everything when I was kind of watching through because I really wanted to be in the era, but I just had to skip his interview segments because they're just they're worthless. It's the worst. Uh, I'm thinking about your fandoms now. Have you seen the one where Sid destroys the barbershop? I think I saw that one. It was probably one of the only times I liked Sid. Yeah, I did see that. So Sid could do one or two good things in his career, and that was one of them because I didn't have to watch any more of those goddamn segments. Oh, they were so bad. Oh, I'm getting, like, trauma coming back up that I repressed. Just, oh, my God. All right, I'm done. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll move on from that. Again, the man who closes all the shows almost in this era is Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant. I've said many times, Hogan versus Heenan is uh, the feud of the 80s, so yeah. it's not surprising to me. Yeah, he's like a key player here all the time. Um, we go back to, yeah, Andre, who's thinking back on uh, choking Hogan and reminiscing about it and uh, saying he's going to keep doing it until he gets that belt around his waist. Heenan says he's got big plans. They're going to make more money than any athlete ever made. Andre even grabs Okerlund and then shakes him a little oh. bit, and uh, it's quite terrifying for me and Gene. It's an iconic moment. Yeah. It's not the only one. that will. There will be more. Uh, Bobby Heenan says, we're choking the championship away from Hulk Hogan. He says, they're close to cinching the biggest deal in the history of sports. <laughs> so there's a lot going on right now, and that's why I was trying to get at the beginning of the show is everybody's on the move right now and 
is going to end up in an explosion that is coming and that rare moment in wrestling history where that space at the top is actually up in the air for anybody who can jump high enough to grab. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we go to our very, very last segment. These, these Saturday night events always end so weirdly because there's always yeah. like three commercial breaks in, in between like 30 second segments. Um, but uh, our very, very last one, um, just Ventura is very happy about what happened to Hogan. Uh, and again, there's some nice symmetry to the last show when everyone else was laughing about Heenan and Ventura was the only one who was upset about it. So now we get the reversal of that. Um, they do, they go just one little step too far, I think, because Gene Okerlund is like, Hulk Hogan, we don't know, he may need a tracheotomy, he may need like a ventilator, and it's just, it's a little too much for me, but I appreciate they're trying really hard to uh, sell this as hard as they can, so maybe just a little bit overboard, but still. Especially since I think he says, right after that, oh, well, he won't, <laughs> he won't need it. Right, yeah, and it's like, well, this could have happened, but it didn't, so it's like, yeah, okay, it's a little much, just, but, just yeah. I can't, Jesse Ventura also, they mentioned Hogan being on the other side of the wall, I guess, in the babyface locker room, and Jesse, for a moment before he speaks, kind of looks at the wall as if Hulk Hogan might come through it. So. <laughs> hey, you don't know, you know. Um, don't put anything past Hogan, so. And again, though, this is, this is such, it's not just Andre ending the shows, but they they've ended them happily so many times because they're winning so much of this war. Right. And I love the fact that this is what makes Heenan and Hogan work, is that no matter who's winning it, they're both miserable all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. You're onto something there. Yeah, because there's always more to be. Because they both, they both have their goal as eradicating the other. <laughs> so that threat doesn't go away. It doesn't matter who's winning it. And they both always want more, and they want what's next. And I think there's something, as you have said so well, that just defines the error by this, and it's in that marriage of um, rivals. Yeah, yeah. Whew. So, yeah, this turned out to be a very good show. Maybe uh, you could skip, definitely skip Jake and Sika. Um, you probably skip Strikeforce and the Bolsheviks, too. Watch the other Strikeforce match instead and pretend it was in its place. Um but yeah, the, there's some stuff that really popped big on this show, and I, I was very glad to go through it. And... Yeah, good show in the back half. If you love mustard, if that's your thing, you might do, the Fuji segment might do it for you. So I can't get over that. <laughs> Just with like the long sandwich bread, it's like this was his plan. This was Fuji's <laughs> plan to use mustard and bread to motivate his man to win. Okay. I paused right. it and walked away for a long time before I continued, and I saw him <laughs> with that mustard jar. <laughs> I love your relationship with wrestling. I like how you are um, physically stopped at times from continuing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's something that um, I appreciate about you. It, it did, and it was about as, as effective as it ever could have been. <laughs> and what was good? Oh, God. 1988. Oh, yep. We're in the year. Uh, next time. We will have the very first Royal Rumble. Oh. We're going to have the Royal Rumble match. We're going to have uh, the Islanders on the card. We're going to have the Women's Tag Team Championship match. In, uh, uh, something that I think that we will, we will definitely uh, have some fun talking about. We're going to see Ricky Steamboat versus Rick Rude years in advance Man. of Rick Rude uh, revealing Steamboat's infidelities in WCW. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I'll just leave that there. Uh, it's going to be some very good stuff. Uh, I think no bonus content because that's a full-size show. But uh, after that, we got uh, we got the main event, which is Andre and Hogan. After that, we got another Saturday Night's main event. And then finally, WrestleMania 4. It's a very packed period for important shows, but I love that. I'm loving this whole buildup. And I like that where we are now you can't even really see forward to, like, WrestleMania 4. Yeah. Like, so many things are going to go down that makes that event happen. That is one of the most astounding things in this era, is that I would think, in most eras, we would have already set up Hogan Andre 2 for WrestleMania 4 a year in advance. Sure. And we kind of Hogan- did. <laughs> Yeah, kind of but, did, but but again, like you said, you can't see your like we're in January, and you can't see your way clear to it. You would be completely within your rights to think Hogan Andre was just the main event of WrestleMania yeah. four. They were just gonna build it up and do it again. So, oh yeah, we got some very good stuff coming up. I am excited. We're gonna have a lot to say about all of it. Mystic, anything else you want to say before we call this episode? I just think the next episode will be the most unpredictable as far as. I have no idea how much I'm going to enjoy it or not enjoy it. I have no idea what it's going to look like. It's mm-hmm. the first Royal Rumble, so it's just going to be – like I, I can't tell you 1% of what I'm going to be next week when I'm sitting here or what RB feeling. So here we go. Do you know – I'm hesitant to ask this, but do you know who wins that Rumble? I do know who wins the Rumble. You do know? Okay, so we know one thing that we're not going to like so much, and yeah. we'll get to that when we get to it. I know uh, Ryan Evans, who seems to take particular joy in us being in pain, uh, is looking forward to our reaction to that (laughs) on Twitter. So so you'll get it. But, hey, you know, putting that aside, I do think we're going to see a lot of great stuff on the show. I'm excited just to see Ricky Steamboat again, who's fallen off the face of the earth uh, unfairly that I will never uh, get over. So that'll be good. First look at Rick Rude uh, in a major singles match, uh, that Paul Orndorff thing notwithstanding. Paul Orndorff gone by the way, I think. I think we're done with him, sadly. But, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of good stuff. I'm uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. It's the first Royal Rumble. Not not a lot. They've done some house show Royal Rumbles, but there's not a lot of, like, foregone sequences that exist at this time. You know, it's a Survivor Series. I mean, to the point where I actually was surprised to hear that. I was, like, kind of aware of that, but not really, and it doesn't really come into the narrative. So it's definitely going to be something we have to look at and talk about and think about. And those Royal Rumbles in the house shows have been flops with the audience who have not enjoyed them, just for the record. Yeah, which uh, is strange to me. But then again, like, I feel like it could be confused. You kind of need, like, the commentators to walk you through it if you don't know what it yeah. is. Because it's very different than what we've seen before. Like, nothing in WWF has been, like, staggered entrance. You know, you're sitting there, like, maybe you don't know how many people are coming out. You don't know that you're in for a long match. And you're like, what the hell is this? So... Uh, once the trope is established, though, it's going to become, rightly so, one of the most beloved ones. So I'm excited about it. And never forget that it is free TV as a middle finger and a disruption to the to the opponents of this era. Uh, absolutely so. What is um here? I, I have it in my notes somewhere. Is it Bunkhouse Stampede or is it something else? I, yeah, it is Bunkhouse Stampede. With uh, Dusty Rose, Iron Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Lex Luger, uh, Road Warriors, all sorts of people going into that. So, man, a packed night, a difficult choice if you are a wrestling fan of that era. But uh, a choice you must make because you're not going to be able to see both easily. 
man, why couldn't they have just played nicer? I don't know. I wonder about yes. a world where they could have just, just, just calmed down a little bit and coexisted. And I don't know. Who knows what we might see in a world like that? Yeah, because I think Vince McMahon rightly discerns that he's not in the, technically in the same business. Like I believe now more than <laughs> ever that Vince McMahon was never in the wrestling business. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so what 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 is the need? Like you're not you're not counter programming cheers. <laughs> you know, so why are you counter programming NWA? Oh, good luck counter programming cheers. You can't compete with the draw of <laughs> Sam Malone and Frazier yeah. and all these no, I love cheers. So oh, man. Great Diane just returned on Frazier where I am I see three watching. So good. I love it. Oh man. All right, that's enough uh, 80s uh, ridiculousness from us. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. If you want to shout us out on Twitter, I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Check out all the great programs on LOP Radio. we got a lot of great ones on our channel. Uh, we're on a bit of a new distribution thing. We're on uh, Red Circle now, and we're also getting added onto YouTube. So a few different ways to see that. I'll also always be posting links uh, to our shows on Twitter uh, and you can join the conversation if you come to uh, the forums. And I figured out how you get this. Uh, there's a little bit of a glitch we're still working out. But uh, if you type www.loporums.com, you will definitely get there. You can also navigate there through our main page, uh, wrestlingheadlines.com. They got a link that will take you right to the forum. So hope you'll come check out that great conversation. Got a ton of great written material in there, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So we hope you will join us. That is everything. We're going to be back next time with the first Royal Rumble. And uh, that's all I got. So take us home, Mystic. Yes, until the first airing of the Royal Rumble. Don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature
stripes and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared